Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On today's episode of the Bolts broadcast, are big changes coming to the Bay City? Stay tuned. Season 4, episode 68 of the Bullets Broadcast. Mike Mitchelson and Chase Crawshaw with you today. Chase, how are we feeling on this beautiful Monday evening? Um, you know, I really, really wouldn't classify it as beautiful. It's just like, not like it's bleak outside. It's just like, you know, just kind of chilling. So, not much to put a smile on your face for, but um, other than that, I'm, I'm doing okay. How about you? Oh, couldn't be me. Got a nice little sunset, 76 degrees, downtown Indianapolis, looking absolutely gorgeous. I'm feeling great today. That must be nice. It's definitely, you know, not, not that same sentiment out here. Except uh, next Sunday, it's supposed to be 90 and uh, thunderstorms. Not really looking forward to that one. But yeah, that's that's a little that's a little tough. Is what it is, right? Well, on today's episode of the Bolts broadcast, going to be talking about Tampa and what we're looking at when it comes to free agency, the draft, what you can expect this offseason in the Bay City after the commercial break. Talk about some NHL draft talk, including we are going to be talking about some draft superlatives. So it's a good show for you guys. Stay tuned for all of that, but. Chase, before we hop in, I just got to tell you how excited I am for freaking college football this year. I know this isn't a college football show, but hey, we probably got some Florida State fans out there, and they're looking good with Jordan Travis and Keon Coleman. Probably got some Florida Gator fans out there. They're not looking good. They're going to get smacked around, but I, I'm just so excited. I did not shout out the UCF fans. Who? <laughs> exactly. Brutal, brutal. The 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 true national champions of what that twenty like fifteen season, whatever the hell it was, twenty eighteen. I don't know whatever year it was. You know, no, they were the they were the true national champions. But yeah, no, it, it'll it'll be good. It'll it'll be exciting. I know you're you're even more pumped than normal. Um, you know, I'm I'm definitely excited. I can't lie to you. Um, you know, f- football season is just a fun one in general. College football, you know, it's a much different tune. And like that time of year, it's, it's just so great. All, all the sports just culminate, come back together. It, it really is awesome. And college football is the one that kicks it all off. So I'm definitely excited as well. Yeah, and it's a bit weird because I look at my NFL team. They're in a very good spot right now. Potentially could be vying for that Super Bowl yet again this year. When I look at my college team, not really the case. Did not play well at all last year. But for some reason, college is just geeking me out right now. And the only reason I bring it up is because I was watching Joel Klatt had an interview with Nick Saban. Man, some great content there. But the end of the interview, Nick Saban said if Joel Klatt is serious about being uh, on the coaching staff of a football team, because Joel Klatt mentioned he's always thought he'd be a, a football coach, that Alabama's got a spot for him which I thought was wild. What was that? One more time. Nick Saban said that Joel Klatt had a spot on the Alabama coaching team, the coaching staff, if he wanted it. Because during the interview, Joel Klatt mentioned how for the longest time he thought he was going to be a football coach, not a football commentator. That's what I thought you said. That's so, that's random. That like, that had to have been a bit of a joke because what's he going to do? Just walk right on campus? Yeah, look, look at this. We have our new OC. Or is he just going to be like, here's our, you know, <laughs> our football analytics intern? I like it. Seems a little bit of, a little bit of cap to me. He had to build, or he definitely have to build himself up. But Joel Klatt played quarterback for Colorado back in the day, and um, at the end of the interview, when he said that, Joel Klatt said, "Don't air that out there if you're not serious." And he said, don't 
tell me that you want to be a football coach in a live interview unless you mean it or something like that. So, Ooh. yeah, I, I don't think it'll happen. Joel Klatt said that um, his family was the reason he went to commentary over coaching uh, way back when, but I thought that was interesting, and I'm sure there's probably other spots, other places, other sports where we could find something similar where you have someone in the commentary booth, whether it be actually in the booth or, um, you know, on a post-game show that actually get jobs in the real world. I know Mike Mayock, he was there at a point in time, but I believe Mike Mayock had some, um, he wasn't just a sports personality before he got the GM job. So, but I thought that was cool. Maybe someday you and I will be on the coaching staff of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you never know. I mean, it's definitely not like, impossible i just think it might be more likely that uh you know i guess both being on the same staff in tampa i think it's more likely that i, I grow an extra foot out of my ass well if tampa wants to win chips then you know yeah they, have, they haven't got any of those yet so we will help you get over that hump you know I, it's just there's just an obvious obvious pairing that needs to come to the coaching staff but regardless let's talk about the nhl draft we're only nine days away it's going to be exciting except not for Tampa. No, it's it's going to be really just like, I don't, I don't want to say bleak because like there's always optimism, but it's just going to be boring. Uh, you know, three draft picks, uh, one sixth and two sevenths. So, you know, that, that sixth round pick is our own. And then the seventh round pick, we have um, first one, which is Anaheim's and second one, which is our own again. So, in the sixth round, we have 179, and then uh, the seventh round, 193, and then 211. So, in case you don't know, it's a total of 224 picks in the NHL draft. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we really out there. Um, not going to be much going on. Maybe you'll see a trade or two. Um, it's definitely not impossible, but I, I really don't think it's going to be happening much. So, it'll, it'll be a bit of a, a dull day for Tampa fans. You know, it's a price you pay when you're winning championships and trying to continue to win championships. Um, so... You know, don't expect anything too crazy or exciting, but you know th- those later round picks are really the ones that that these scouts live for. Um, you know, you're you're paying you're paying all these scouts you have on your staff this money for for a big reason, and it's for them to find the best hockey players and find the you know the best values they can get. So they're really gonna be fighting with each other. There's th- three picks to be used. Um, all those scouts are gonna be fighting with um, one another, saying this is who we should take and this is who we should take. And this is really going to be like a put up or shut up. This is, yeah, we have three picks here. We, we, we need, you know, one guy coming an NHL out of it, whichever three we choose. If you're wrong, you know, you might, maybe it'll be some sort of consequences, but if you're right, you look like a genius. So it really is the type of thing that scout scouting staffs do just love. So it'll be exciting to see how this plays out. Um, there's going to definitely be some good options there. Um, but you just got to keep in mind that these six, seventh round picks are always long shots. Yeah. And as someone who is, currently taking their path to eventually reach that NHL front office. Give me a, give me a little insight here when it comes to, I guess, general philosophy when it comes to those type of picks and then yours, do you go for the raw product that has tremendous upside or do you go for a guy who maybe has a floor of, you know, a bottom six player for you in the NHL? What are you looking for in those rounds? So in the NHL, you know, it's a little bit different than the other sports. NHL and MLB are more similar than, you know, NBA, NFL. Those two are similar. But with hockey, um, you, you've got to look for kind of kind of different players. The the, the late round picks at every level uh, in the NHL at the junior level, um, you know, they they really they, they got to be these potential values. Um, you're not really finding a ton of floor guys because the, the floor type players, they'll, they'll start going in the second, third, fourth round. Um, so if, if you're looking for, you know, the six round picks, there might be a faller that you like. There might be a guy who's a second or third year eligible who looks like he might have a floor, but, you know, why wasn't he good to be drafted in the first go around? That is the reason that people might fall. So really what you're looking for here is either, you know, someone that was playing in a small role in one of these big junior leagues or one of these, you know, European pro leagues kind of went overlooked a little bit. So, you know, maybe someone who was a 17 year old who was playing third, fourth line in the OHL because they were on a really good team, didn't get a lot of looks. Maybe someone who played, you know, 15 games in the Swedish pro league, didn't get any shifts because they were just a young kid. They're basically just there watching. Um, you know, you're looking for a lot more of those types of guys who they, they kind of showcase those, those raw talents. Um, 
you know, whether it be a good skater, high hockey, hockey IQ, you know, um, strong set of hands, wh- whatever it might be, uh, you, you need to kind of find something that at least they have, you know, one high end trade at, and then the rest you at least see some kind of sparks and, and glimmers of hope. So you're, you're always shooting for upside on these later round picks because if you're just drafting safely, you're still probably not getting an NHLer. So you're looking at someone who's, all right, they have this trait. If this, this, and then that happens, they're an NHLer. If this, 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 that happens, then they might be a stud. So this is where you really, you call your shot. And when, you know, when, when you're pounding the table for a player, you and you know, the, the 20 other scouts that might be at the table, uh, you're saying, this is why we draft this kid. He has this, this is what he's done. This is what he's going to do. So you're, you're, really calling your shots on these players and, and you're looking for for that true kind of boom upside. And make sure you stay tuned to the Bolts broadcast all offseason because we will be coming to you post-draft to talk about our three draft picks, what we can expect from these guys, where potentially they have that boom potential and or you know the low end of their floor as well. So we'll be talking about that post-draft. Make sure to stay tuned. But Chase, let's move on to free agency because it seems like a long-term bolt may be on his way out of Tampa. Yeah, Alex Kalorin, who's spent you know quite a bit of time here. I can't remember the exact year. Didn't pull it up. But, I mean, he's been here for two, two Stanley Cups, multiple cup runs. Um, looking like he's going to be heading towards free agency. Yeah, it's not that surprising with the the kind of t- tight budget that Tampa's operating with going into next season with so many studs being paid. It, he's probably just not getting the payday that he wants. He's going to go hopefully get a few more bucks. He'll probably get it in free agency. Whereas if he stayed in Tampa, you know, he'd probably get less. So nothing wrong with this. You know, I, I think Kaloran's done, done a good job, but better job than I expected because I was never, I got never really been a giant fan or supporter of him. I think, you know, he's a solid pro, but, I think there's just other guys that can kind of fill that role, especially internally with what we have, you know, it, it just, it gives, um, you know, a couple of kids a little more opportunities, you know, like kid like, like Ross Colton, like he's just going to get an extra opportunity. And that's a player that I think has some, you know, may, maybe not, you know, world breaking scoring, but I, th- I think he can play, you know, a, a true solid, good, you know, career, like long, a career long role for Tampa. So I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens uh, with these spots. They're definitely going to go out and sign a player or two with that money. But it's also going to be fun to see who's going to kind of battle internally for it. Yeah, and you mentioned going out and buying some players. So let's take a look at free agency and specifically Bolts by the Bay, fan-sided Bolts, you know, um, people. Blog, whatever you want to call it. Blog. They put out top five free agents that the Tampa Bay Lightning should avoid. Can I just say real quick, I hate fan-sided. I really do. Their structure, they're it's so it's just also clickbaity. All their pages net navigating through, they get like every time like they list you know one player per page. So you hit next, so it's another like view on their page. And if you go back, it's another view, another view, another view. So like it just gets them like unlimited clicks. They're just kind of clickbaiting you, and and I I hate it. I just I I I hate it. But anywho, bolts by the way, um five five guys that they mentioned specifically. Do not um, go after free agency. So I'm going to kind of go one by one, um, share my thoughts, then let you chip in. We'll go on to the next one. First, um, you know, Gustav Nyquist, a former Detroit Red Wings draft pick, uh, spent some time, you know, just kind of team hoppy, really. Um, you know, spent some time in San Jose, spent some time in Columbus. Um, he's going to be hitting the free agent market. And he's had some success in the NHL, but these last few years, you know, def- definitely sloping down, getting a bit older. And, I can agree with him on this one because he's probably going to get more than he should, just like most free agents will. And it's not a player that I'd be willing to spend a, a few extra dollars on because realistically he's coming in, he's playing on your third line. He'll get some second power play unit top minutes, but like not, not, you know, enough of a offensive player to, to really warrant his, you know, lack of defense. So I, I can agree with him on this one. Yeah. And with him getting older, and missing a lot of time last year because of injuries. I mean, I just don't see why you would pay the price that he is being projected to go for. Because if you get a guy who's only there for 50 games and isn't even, you know, a top two guy for, or a top two line player for you, I just, I'm out. Yeah, 100%. I agree. So moving on to the next, uh, JVR, James and Reamsdyke, uh, you know, originally played in Toronto, then went over to Philly, spent a bunch of time there. And I, I disagree with him on this one, actually. I, I think that JVR 
could actually be a good signing because he's the type of player where he's made a lot of money and he's in the stage of his career where he's like, all right, I kind of just want to win. I want to have my name in a cup. I want to have a legacy. And this is the type of player that you can kind of get on a discount because Tampa's had all the success in the playoffs. They've had these cup runs. They have two Stanley Cups. And the core is still here. Like it, it really is. So if he could come in and, and really, you know, slot in like that kill Oren role um, and, you know, play those minutes, I, I think it's something that he'd be able to do and would be willing to do for a reasonable price. So I disagree because I think that, you know, the p- potential production um, offensively and defensively compared to what his price would be could actually be a decent value. Yeah. And I think that he fits on the team a little bit better than your Gustav Nyquist. I mean, uh, it showed projected salary for Nyquist was over $3 million for JVR, less than 2 I think he slots in nicer on that bottom six, whether it be the third or the fourth line. And maybe it sounds a little hypocritical because JVR also missed some time with injury last year, also 34 years of, of age. But when you're getting this guy who is going to be a lot cheaper and can play a little bit more of a... Um, maybe not full-on defensive role, but a guy that can hit and he's going to push the pace a little bit, I think that's much more worth $1.8 million compared to the three point two projected for Nyquist. Oh, a- absolutely. And, you know, that, that extra money, it still leaves room for one more player up, you know, up front, the back end, um, you know, a backup goalie, whatever it is, it, it leaves it extra money on, on top of him being a, I, who I think would be honestly a more impactful player. Like, I, I really do. Um, so I think it could be a great fit and just be another bedroom presence who a team wants to rally around and win a cup for. So Nyquist, he's in a similar boat, but just for the money and stuff. And then as you mentioned, durability, like it, JVR just is way more worth it. 100% agree with you. Uh, number three was Eric Johnson. What do you think about that? This one, I, I really don't know if I agree or disagree because, you know, I, you, you're the one that has these expected um, shadows in front of you right now. I'm just looking at the names I have written down. So I, this is really, I want to just talk off of, off of gut feeling for it. So if he came in at a reasonable price, um, I, I think he's like a, a great, you know, right shot defenseman. You know, we, we could definitely use one more of those. Um, you know, you know, Chernock and Perbix have played really well this year, but I want someone who is, you know, a, a really good, you know, number like six or third pair defenseman that can slot in that spot because, you know, there is some instability there. Um, maybe someone that can play with Ian Cole, um, you know, if he's still, if he's sticking around, uh, not moving at all next year and kind of have like a really nice shutdown D roll. I think that could be, um, you know, a, a really good opportunity. But if you're going out and paying, you know, decent coin for him, probably not um, at that point, like he would be coming as a bottom pair guy. So you'd rather get, um, you know, a little bit of a different value. Yeah, and the projected salary for this guy is nine hundred and sixty-four thousand. So yeah, you're perfect. looking under a million. And the article mentions that he is a better shot blocker than Nick Perbix. He's slightly more physical than Mikhail Sergachev and Ian Cole. He's more of an offensive-minded uh, defenseman. But then they say he's not as physical as Zach Bogosian, and it's like. I mean, all of these things that you mentioned seem to me like this could be a guy who would get the role over Zach Bogosian because he's got all these things better than Zach Bogosian, except he's not as physical. So I, yeah. I, I don't really get why they have him here. Um, that being said, though, if they make this move, I'm not going to be going crazy. Like, cool, could be a, a you know top six pairing for us. Maybe he's more of a depth guy, could play a seventh role, who knows? But like I'm not hooing and eyeing, but I'm also not like this is horrible. Don't ever do this. For sure. And at that price for me, it's if, if that's what he is, like it's a it's a no brainer. Um I, I just it ends up being a good value and he does have you know good leadership experience. He was a high draft pick. Um so he he's got a good resume behind him and i think he could come in pretty seamlessly fill some some holes that we need and like i just like him better than Magosian. i have their whole careers so mm-hmm. i i would i would prefer eric johnson on this one and you know at that price that's the type of player i'd be willing to take a shot on because hell if it doesn't work out you, you can wave them you can you know find find a trade partner pretty easy and number four here craig smith uh predator capital uh, this guy has had a lot of success, different places, Boston as well. But what do you think about Craig Smith? 
Uh, kind of another player depends on the price. Uh, he, he's definitely on, you know, like the down, like the downward edge of his career. He, he still might be able to provide a little bit of offense, but really what I'd be looking for with that point is just that, that two way game. Someone that could, you know, play on the PK, be a pretty low event type player. Um, you know, not much going on offensively, not much going on defensively. You just kind of go in there, keeping the game even keel, um, letting the stars rest up and go out there. If, you know, if he can come and do that role in a reasonable price, I'd, I'd be all for it. But it's the same thing as Eric Johnson, where it's, it's got to be, you know, really worth, worth the dollar amount. Okay. I'll give you this JVR. He was projected 1.8 million, 34 years old. Would you rather him or Craig Smith, who is 33 years old with a projected cap of 1.3 million? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, If I had to lean one way, I think I'd go Craig Smith and, you know, try to find maybe one more um, upside player that could score a little more, or maybe someone internal that could score a little more and, and let Craig Smith do a much better job of that two-way role than what JVR might do. Okay. I'm going to go JVR on that one. Brings a little bit more up offensive upside. And uh, Craig Smith, not actually the best numbers when it comes to hits and blocking shots. Now, that's not the only thing to a two-way game. Um, but those are important, especially on the penalty kill. And I feel like if you're going to bring in a Craig Smith, that's a guy you're looking to have on the penalty kill. Um, so I think I would prefer JVR for the half a mil. Yeah, and like that's fair. I'm not not going to hate on that, but hey, I just like Craig Smith's game because when he is out there um, in the defensive role, it's it's not not you know banging bodies. It's, it's something like in a physical aspect, really. It's just filling in lanes and like mitigating risk. And that's a, it's a great player to have. Finally, let's talk about Milan Lucic and it shocks me that he got completely through his seven year deal at 42 million at very overpaid for Milan Lucic. Uh, Obviously there's some other guys that fit along those lines as well. Franz Nielsen, Kyle Poso, all these guys, uh, very similar. Andrew Lod, very similar money, uh, right around the same time frame, and Milan Lucic able to get his whole contract, you know, finished out. And it's it's just basically just him and Kyle Ocposo are the only ones that have like stuck through it and been like you know NHLers the whole way. Ocposo's actually ended up becoming more worth it than anybody else's. Like he started producing a little more these last couple of years, way more than I ever expected him to. I thought he was just done a couple of years ago, but you know, hats off to him. Regardless, yeah, Lucic. I thought it would have been bought out halfway into this thing, but. He came in, it was overpaid for sure, but he did play a great fourth line role. He's a great presence to have on the team where it's like, you're not, you're not going to fuck with my guys because I'll beat the piss out of you. But we, we've spent all these years, as much as we love Patrick Maroon, um, like I, I do, he's awesome. But when it comes to the hockey, like he, like he can't skate. Like I don't need to see, like I don't need to see another one of those. Milan Lucic, just another guy who can't skate. The league's becoming faster and faster by the second. So you need to find guys that can, that can keep up. So if you can find, like, you know, Antoine Roussel is a perfect player for me, um, or even a Matt Martin. These guys, they're not, you know, wheelers. They're not flying around, but they keep pace, you know, way better than than um, than what Milan Lucic does, and they still play physical. They, You know, Matt Martin set the record for hits in a season. Uh, you know, they, they block shots. They do the right types of things. Like, I, I love Antoine Roussel's game. I, you know, I would love him to be a member of the Lightning just because, like, I, I think he could just um, – he's like, ever since he – like, he's – even before he came over to the NHL, he was just someone that like, I was like, this guy is an interesting game. I, regardless, it's going on a rant here. Um, you know, Lucic just doesn't have the juice. Um, yeah, he might have some better experience. And he looks like he's probably like actually a great guy to have in the room. But I, I, I I'm all set for the on ice product. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you here. I mean, when you look at last year, you had a line of Corey Perry, Pat Maroon, Pierre, Edward Bellamar, uh, all guys that, you know, I'm big fans of, but when you look at how they were playing out there on the ice, the product was far too slow for the modern day NHL and Milan Lucic, very similar there. So even if the projected cap is 700,000, still 775,000 to be exact, but I'm, I'm still, still. Off. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Well, pass on that one. Thanks for the offer though. 
yeah, appreciate it, but no. So that's going to do it for our first half of the show, but make sure you stay tuned for the second half because we are going to be talking a lot of NHL draft. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with the DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit helplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. Shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. And Chase, I, I got to be honest, uh, was talking to a coworker last week, and he told me that from January 1st to now, he's made $1,400 sports betting. And like, I'm like profit. Yeah. Profit. And I'm kind of getting the itch to put five into DraftKings and see what I can do with it. But when you look at my history, it hasn't gone well. So I don't know why people having luck is making me think I'll get it because it never happens. Anytime I go to the casino, whatever it is, I never have that luck. I don't know why I'm being tempted. Gambling's fun, man. That's why I love gambling. It's it's a great time, especially like if if you're going out and losing big bucks, it obviously sucks. And I'm not like a I don't play as large bets. I just do it like you know little, little serotonin boost. It's all sprinkle a little here, a little there, and it it, it it can be fun. It's always just like it's so tempting where you you, you know there's always a chance you can you could take that hundred dollars and turn it into ten thousand dollars. Like it, it's always there. Is it going to happen? Probably not, but you never know. Never for me. At least that's how it feels. So well, it's that's fair, but like you got to keep trying. Otherwise it's never going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe once <laughs> I get a time machine, maybe once I get a time machine, I'll start sports betting again. Does that work? Yeah, that, 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 that would be fine. Um, we, just need, we need a, we just need to find a referee like the one in like, I think it was bad sports that the Netflix documentary where he could, uh, like add or subtract six points to any basketball game um, team. So essentially it's a 12 point swing. And you sh- we just need to find somebody that can do that and give us the inside scoop. And so we can go make a bunch of money. Yeah. And quick disclaimer, um, time machines aren't real, never will be real. And so if I make billions of dollars on sports betting, just know it's not me from the future. It's just luck. Okay. Everyone cool with that? Yep. And Perfect. If he, if he does make all that money from sports betting, it was absolutely not because of the practices just that were just mentioned as part of a Netflix documentary. We were Strictly speaking, for entertainment purposes. Exactly. 100%. All right. Oliver Ekman Larson bought out. What do we think? Uh, biggest buyout in natural history. Um, fun fact of the day. So he had four years left on the deal of what was going to be an eight to five a year cap hit. They're going to be paying him, you know, a couple different prices per year. Next year, he was, he was going to get paid 10 five, um, you know, and then kind of drops a little more year by year from there. But since it was a four year deal, uh, you know, these buyouts at these types of contracts, what happens is um, you pay two thirds of the deal. So the, the buyout, you know, the contract had 29 million remaining on it. So it, now that it's two thirds, it's like 19.3 million is what you're paying. And that happens over the course of eight years, which is double the time that you're supposed to pay it. So you're, you're looking at some decent cap hits here. You know, it's spread, it's spread out over time based on, you know, those salaries or, or not the salaries like that hit the cap, but like the salaries that he was going to get paid that year. So, um, you know, n- next season, it's looking at about 146k in the cap hit, and then, uh, f- you know, from there it just kind of goes up and up. So the following year, 2.36, 4.76, 4.76, 2.126, 2. 2.126 to finish it out. It's it, it's it's a large cap. It's it's a lot to take on, and they're not the only ones feeling it. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes, the team that Richie signed to that contract, is you know, part of the retained salary. 
that's what happens to the NHL. If you ever retain salary and the player gets bought out, the original team that signed to you know they signed the contract or retain that deal, they have to eat a bit of a of a cap hit too. So you know the Coyotes are gonna have up to six hundred fifty thousand dollars in in cap space, um, you know, out in one year. It, that's it's tough for them, just kind of catching a straight, but it is a large buyout. So OEL still going to get a chance to sign elsewhere, still going to get paid a bunch of money, and Vancouver's going to take a bit of a hit for a while. But it's kind of what kind of what you got to do sometimes. And what do you foresee OEL making when it comes to free agency? Obviously, he has not been the player that we've all known and love for you know a couple of years now, and obviously injuries factor into that quite a bit. You know, only playing fifty four games this year, but. What do you think a contract could look like for the future of OEL? So he's a good candidate for a, like, here's like a little redemption type thing, you know, like not really Mark, Mark Giordano's not a redemption, but like Mark Giordano, he'd get, you know, a very t- team friendly deal in, in Toronto trying to play a home win a cup there. Um, it'll be a similar type of thing with OEL where, um, you know, that price I would have to expect to be the same. Like I wouldn't pay more than a million bucks. And if, if I were, you know, if, if I were a middling team that needed like an extra boost, I would take him on as a, you know, as a product essentially to kind of see what, what he can do. Maybe you can, he can kind of refine his game and have some success with you. But I really wouldn't pay top dollar. And who knows? He might even go back overseas. Maybe he'll go play in Sweden. Maybe he'll go play in Russia. Uh, it kind of depends what the market looks like here. But he, you know, he, he's going to continue playing somewhere unless he just flat out does not want to because he still is good enough to play at a pretty high level. But his elite NHL defenseman days are probably over. Yeah, and it's too bad because he was the only bright spot for the Arizona Coyotes for quite some time, and uh, sure enough, goes over to Vancouver, gets bought out there. Uh, I want to kind of build off of that slightly because Clayton Keller, one of those players for the Coyotes that, you know, one of those slim bright spots, uh, there's talk that he uh, may be, you know, there's a possibility he's on his way out and, I saw that the St. Louis Blues, um, if Keller was on his way out, that would be the Vegas favorite for him to go. And there's talk that St. Louis is really trying to change things this offseason. They're trying to get weird with it. They're trying to shake things up. So I just briefly saw that. Not sure if you saw anything about it, but I thought it was interesting enough to bring up. And what could a team potentially do in the offseason to kind of shake up their whole team as well as it be such an abnormal offseason for the NHL typically. I did not see that, but like that would be like the maybe the best spot for him. Like really if that's a team that that is, you know, swinging upward more than downward and can take on the hit. He uh, when you think of Keller and St. Louis Blues, like you could see, yeah, I, I I could see how that's a thing. I think he would look good in the jersey. Like that could be, you know, a great fit. When I hear about these potential destinations sometimes, like, ew, gross. But I think that one's good. I had not seen it on Twitter, so I'm glad you brought it up. And it really could be, like, if, if that happened, and say it happens here at the draft or something, that could be, you know, potentially the first of many moves because, you know, there's definitely chances we see guys like Alex Dabrinkit or Connor Hellebuck, you know, out the door their respective teams as well. So I'm hoping for a lot of chaos this offseason. It's more fun as a fan. Um, I know it's, you know, it's stressful for these players and their families. So, like, I you know, I feel for them in that aspect. But it is part of the business that you sign up for. It's it's part of part of life, part of the career. So from from a fan perspective, it's definitely a lot more fun seeing, you know, the chaos. Yeah, and when you look at sports overall, as of recent, things have started to get more chaotic. And we even saw that with the NHL trade deadline this year, seeing the likes of Patty Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko, and other big names go on the move. So it'd be really cool to see the NHL continue that into the offseason as we see a couple big names go elsewhere. But let's start talking about the draft here, Chase. We'll start by going over to the athletic. Scott Wheeler, he's got a superlatives um, for the draft. So talking skaters, shooters, passers, and so much more. Yeah, and as I open the app, my app's just sitting here black, so that's pretty cool. Um, Going to try this again. Shout out to you, though. Um, Maybe the athletic needs to... Do a little partnership, maybe you know, you know, a one-off with the old Bolts broadcast because uh, the reason—well, I wouldn't say the only reason, but one of the reasons that they just got themselves a renewed subscription from myself is this superlatives list, as well as um, there's been a couple of things recently 
that I see on Twitter, and I want to look at it so bad, but I'm not subscribed. So finally got that subscription renewed. Thanks for the big offer of $1 a month. That's huge. So let's get into it. Yeah, so we'll start off with the best skaters, as you mentioned. Um, and the Athletic, they really do a great job. I, I really enjoy their products. So, um, you know, not too many free advertisements, but they do a good job. So shout out to, to them, especially Scott Wheeler. I really I really like his work. So, you know, my category, there's different numbers. Um, so, like, there's, you know, 10 for best skaters, 6 for best shot. So, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll really always talk about the number one, and then I might mention the number two or number three here there. We might call out where a certain player is. So, you know, first start off with number one for best skaters is Oliver Moore and following him is Tom Willander. And then you can see on the list, Anna Fatilli's three, uh, Connor Bernard sitting there at six. So a couple of, of the main names to, to recognize, but re- really Oliver Moore is, is the guy to focus on in this because he's going to end up being a pretty high draft pick. Um, I, I'd be shocked if he falls out of the top 10 picks based on where I have him. He's got a lot of talent, had a lot of success with the NTDP this year. He, you know, he, he, he plays a very, just good game like if he's your number two center on, on a team like you have an elite number two center it's kind of where he's at he is a good skater he plays reliable two-way he's got the ability to score i think he's someone that's got a nice like you know 50 points floor as an nhler and maybe a 70 point ceiling but if you can get that you know at, at like the 10 spot like that's huge value so um you know I, I, on top of his talent and his abilities you know that 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 skating you know like the skating toolkit that he has, um, it it really is um, something that just helps boost his game. Yeah, and in the modern day NHL, you need to be a fantastic skater to reach the peak or reach the ceiling of your career, and having that is huge for Oliver Moore. And then uh, I think that there's kind of a common misconception. Maybe it's not that common, but um, when I was kind of looking through the combine and uh, looking at some other stuff, it seemed like everyone thought Connor Bedard would be that number one guy on, you know, everything, whether it be strength, skating, passing, IQ, all of that. And that's not necessarily the case. He's not bad by any means. I mean, the sixth best skater in the draft is fantastic, but I think it is a misconception out there that Connor Bedard, seen as a generational player, should be seen as a generational player isn't necessarily the best in the draft class at every single little thing. So this is why um, some people say in the Bedard um, McDavid argument for who's the best prospect, they're going to say McDavid because he had the size, he had the speed, he had the shot, he had the hands, he had everything because he, he does, he does did and does still have everything and it's gotten even better. So hundred percent, I, I get the argument. Uh, Connor Bedard is not the biggest. He is not, the best skater. He's not very physically, um, you know, like intimidating, but what he does, he just does it like nobody ever has. Like no one's ever shot the puck like him. No one makes the plays he does. So it's different types of players. It's more of like a, you know, like, like, like a Michael Vick versus Tom Brady type thing. Like, like, you know, Mike Vick, if he didn't have, you know, the legal issues and a couple injuries, like he would have been regarded as uh, like one of the all-time greats. And Tom Brady obviously is, is the GOAT. Um, it's the same type of thing where coming into the NFL, um, you know, Tom Brady was like well-rounded, had a couple, you know, good attributes like, like his, um, IQ, but like Michael Vick had all of these just great traits and had a lot of success with them. So it's, it's that, it's that type of argument where, um, he does have a lot of skills and does things where he really is dominant, but he's not going to lead every single category. McDavid did. He's not going to. Yeah, and you mentioned that Bedard's most dominant category is his shot. You can see immediately on ice that it looks different. Sure enough, the athletic has him number one. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if we talked about it on the show or if I talked about it to you at all or if anybody, but do you know how Connor Bedard's shot got the way it did? Um, Wasn't it he was shooting one-handed because they had a broken hand or broken wrist, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about on, I think it was a Sportsnet, um, like a Sportsnet special, whatever it was. But he broke his wrist and he was like 11 or 12 or something. And he was told, you know, I can't do anything for like eight weeks. And the kid was just addicted to hockey. And he didn't want to do that. So he just kept, you know, shooting the puck one handed. He kept, you know, just trying it out. Eventually, after a little time, started getting it to lift a little bit. Then more and more, he started getting a little more power on it before 
he was just suddenly like rifling the puck with one hand. And when it came time for him to get healthy, he had so much power, so much leverage with this one hand. They learned how to kind of parlay that into his, you know, release and make it so lightning quick and come out at a billion miles an hour. And it just made him such a phenomenal shooter and probably the best shooter in the world outside of Ovechkin and he, maybe even equal to Ovechkin because it's just a different like type of shooter that he is. Um, but like he, he's going to be just such a lethal threat every single time he has the puck on the stick, man. Yeah, and the best shot category, you mentioned only six skaters, but quite a few that we already know the names of. Matt Mishkov, Matthew Wood, even Kasper and we've heard a couple of times. So a good class here when it comes to the actual shot category. Yeah, well, you know, 100%. And, and Mishkov, he really he really is a lot of fun. Um, like, I really hope we can see him over sooner than later. And Matthew Wood I'll talk a little bit more about later as well, but... I really hope we can see um, Mishkov get over here and get out of that contract earlier, man. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move to best passers. This one, a couple of names we recognize, but maybe not amongst the stars, such as your Connor Bedards, Adam Fantilli's, Matt Faye Mishkov's. Yeah, for sure. So sitting in, sitting up top, uh, Gabe Perot, he is very, very easily the best in, in this aspect, best passer. Just behind him, Will Smith, Zach Benson. Uh, you know, a couple of names in the top 10. Leo Carlson, Connor Bedard, and even one of my, or top nine, excuse me, one of my guys, Dale Bordeaux, he's sitting there at nine. But Gabriel, I mean, he's just so slick with, with, with that puck on a stick, man. He's just, he places it so well. You know, it is kind of like a Connor McDavid thing, where Connor McDavid, like, he just kind of puts the puck where he wants it. It's the same type of thing. Like, like Perot's passing acumen is just, it's incredible, dude. He, he makes some phenomenal plays. If he can get paired within, maybe with, like, like, a lethal scorer in the NHL, like he's going to be, you know, a hundred point guy with 85 assists every year because he's just such a strong passer. Yeah. And 132 points, 79 of those being assists in the program this year. So uh, really some nice showcases for the NTDP. Yeah, dude, they're, they're, it's a good crop this year. Some, some really high end talent. Um, it, it's exciting. It's cool to see him kind of circle back. Maybe it's not that 2019 team. I don't know if we're ever going to see that again. There was just so much talent, but it still is a pretty good crop. All right, best hands. You just mentioned them, but it's not Gay Perot. He comes in three, but the number two guy for passing. Yeah, um, so Will Smith, as you mentioned, sits atop um, the best hands with Connor Bedard and Gay Perot, Matthew Mishkov behind him. Um, like Will Smith, man, he's... My favorite actor is really awesome when he slapped Chris Rock, and that's how he sh- showed he had the best hands, like how hard he slapped him. Like, that, right. that was just incredible. Mm-hmm. But in all actuality, Will Smith is just so, you know, he, he's he's so special, man. Like, he's got silky smooth minutes. He's going to go in the top five because of how incredible his just pure offensive skill set is. Um, he's someone who he's going to have some pretty highlight real plays in the NHL, maybe, maybe goals, maybe assists, but. They're, you know, it's going to be what Trevor Zegras does, but at a higher offensive level because Trevor Zegras is very good, but he's a bit overrated. But at any point, uh, that's an argument for a different day. Will Smith, um, he's he's going to be more prolific of a scorer than Zegras while having, you know, a, a relatively similar type of game, like having so much finesse and having so much skill. He's going to have, as I said, so many highlight, highlight real plays. Uh, whoever lands him, you're going to have a lot of fun in, in about a year. Uh, he's going to go play probably one year of college and be ready to go. Uh, so you get to kind of sit there and watch him dominate the college ranks a little bit before he makes that jump. Yeah, and Wheeler says his deceptiveness is in a different stratosphere. It's not just about his hands. It's also about his shoulders and his eyes and all of the misdirection he creates with the puck glued to his stick. Uh, Bedard Pro, Mishkov, like we mentioned, close seconds, but I think Smith is still a cut above. When you get that type of praise, it just makes me think of some of the best hands we've seen, you know, of all time. And Trevor Zegras, you mentioned, he's a guy who, he's a younger guy, you know, he's not in that stratosphere yet, but he does create a lot of plays when it comes to being out there on the ice. But two guys I think of immediately that have that deceptiveness, Patty Kane and, of course, the magic man, Pavel Datsuk. Where do you think Will Smith could land amongst them? Is is he still a cut below both of those guys, or do you think when he reaches his peak, he could potentially be in the same conversation. 
Yeah, it, it's it's hard to say that anybody's going to enter that realm because those are just two special players. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm going to say he's still going to be you know below them because really, Pavel Datsuk wasn't the first to to have the silky smooth hands, but he was by far the best, and he was the one that made it what it is today. Um, he's the one that showed all these kids that um, well, this is what you're going to do in your driveway. You're going to go there, stick handle, do all these crazy moves, and he's the reason the NHL is the way it is nowadays. Like it's just the truth. If it wasn't for him, you know, doing all that he did, you would see significantly less stick handlers because he just did so much fun shit on the ice. It, it, it was great. And obviously, Patty Kane's still going until we, uh, you know, about 10 years after, you know, Pebble Dancing was drafted. Still an incredible skill set, inc- incredible set of hands, incredible talent. But like, his is more smooth, where Dancing's is like obviously smooth, but a lot more creative as well. So these two guys, they really helped revolutionize that aspect of the game. So. It's it's hard to say that anybody's going to kind of surpass them. So I, I think he's definitely going to be um, someone that's very highly regarded about like within his whole career, and probably someone you look back on with some some great highlights. Um, but I I just can't put anybody in those category with those two, other than McDavid. All right, let's talk about most competitive now. And as we know, when you're coming to a professional sport, you gotta have that high motor. You gotta have the extreme competitiveness because. If you're not in the gym, someone else is, and they're going to overtake you. Who do we have for most competitive? So number one, Kellen Lind is a player that may, maybe people know less about. Um, he's still a very, you know, highly regarded prospect. Someone who's got some talent is going to be, you know, probably in the second second round pick. Maybe sweet sway into the first, um, maybe third round pick. I don't know, but is the brother of Colin who has played a lot of NHL games. Guy just works his works his bag off. He he really does. Um, but you know, just behind him, it's got Wheeler says um Ryan Leonard is a really good number two option. And Ryan Leonard has been on a lot of these lists, someone we've not really talked about, but he is kind of like, for lack of a better term, the afterthought of that top line of the US NTDP team. He's still got a lot of skill, but um, you know, the other guys are kind of look at it in a little bit better light. But Leonard is he's just gonna be a really good, really good NHL or someone that is locked and loaded. Your second line winger, um, like just does the right things offensively. Um, and he's going to work his bag off as you see here, like kind of that true, like power forward type. Um, both these dudes are going to, they're going to be NHLers. I'd be shocked if they're not. And they're both going to be really competitive. Um, Lind is just going to be the guy that everybody loves on the third line where Leonard's going to be the guy that everybody loves in the second line. And then before we move on or comment on that, I just, I want to say this, Zach Benson's not a guy we've we talked about much, but he's appeared on almost all these lists. If Zach Benson were six foot, I think he would be regarded as a significantly higher level prospect. He's still looked at as a potential top 10 pick, but if he's you know only five foot seven, if, if he was six foot, he'd be a top three contention because he's just got so much ability, dude. All right, and let me piss you off here for a second. Uh, devil's advocate here because I'm sure there's probably... Maybe not here on the Bolts broadcast because we have such intelligent listeners, but there's probably someone out there who read this article and was thinking this at some point. You've got 24 different players in most competitive, 10 in the actual list, 14 when it comes to honorable mentions. Connor Bedard, not one of those 24 names. Is he lazy? Is he not a guy that really wants to compete? Shut up. That's That's just so stupid. That's not a devil's advocate thing. That's just a stupid thing. The most competitive is a guy who goes to the corners, you know, plays gritty and plays like that power forward grinder, you know, two way forward type thing. Connor Bedard, like Connor McDavid wouldn't be in this, you know, top 10 competitive list. Like he just wouldn't. Connor Bedard's the same type of thing. He doesn't need to be because he has so much ability. Like he, doesn't, he doesn't need to compete. Everyone needs to try to compete with him. He's just better than everybody. Like that's just the reality. Until they catch up. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm say, tell who catches up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Playing, the, you know, the old internet troll there on that one. But let's talk about smartest player now. We have our first repeat of the day as the number one player in this category, also the number one player when it comes to passing. Yeah, Gabe Perot. And it makes sense when you have that great, you know, passing skill set. Um, being the smartest, it really coincides very well. Um, you know, you look back a couple years ago, 2020 draft, Craig Button gave Cole Perfetti a six out of five for his hockey IQ. And Perfetti is a great shooter, but he is just 
an incredible passer, one of the smartest guys in the league, and his production is going to kind of kick off. And it's the same thing for Bro. It really is. He's just such a phenomenal passer. He knows where everybody is on the ice. He knows what your next six steps are going to be, and it's going to really cause him to set up some incredible goals. So I can definitely get behind it. You know, when you look at the kind of players um, following that, especially the next, you know, next four with Mishkov, uh, Jane Perron, a guy we've not really talked about, but is an incredibly talented player in his own right. And then Zach Benson, Connor Bedard. Um, all these guys have great hockey IQ, um, a little more of scores. Um, you know, Jane Perron's game is, you know, he's not as high end as these other guys, maybe in terms of a prospect, but he's someone that is going to get some love on draft day. And um, it's going to probably be a good NHLer, but like it, it's, it is a pretty smart uh, draft class. Like this top 10, um, you know, are, are guys that uh, that are really, really, really intelligent. And the, the number 10 is kind of surprising putting a goalie in there with Trey Augustine, but it really is just, it's, it's a smart draft class. It, it is the fact that, uh, you know, a guy like Dale Bordavorsky is ranked eighth in this and he just, he's always in the right place at the right time. If, if he can be eighth in your list, like that's a smart draft class. Yeah. It's looking good there. Um, and it's interesting because there was a couple of guys there that I just was not familiar with. You mentioned Jaden Perron, Luca Cagnoni, guys that I really haven't heard much about. And Trey Augustine, other than you saying right now that he's a goaltender, would have known that as well. But the other seven, all pretty highly touted names, which makes sense. If you're a good prospect, you're likely one of the smarter players in the draft class. And Trey Augustine was the starting goaltender for the U20 team, by the way, for the World Juniors. Average. So, yeah, like, as, as a 17-year-old, he was, you know, he was the number one goalie on the, on the eight, U18 NTDP team. And a little bit is because it was just a weak prop goaltenders these last couple of years. But Augustine is a very strong goaltender. He's probably going to be the first one that goes off the board. Really? Over uh, I'm Michael for- Rabel? Yeah, yeah, Michael Rabel. Yeah, I, I really do think so. Trey Augustine has just, you know, he, he had a very strong end of the season and it's really kind of shot himself up the ranks. Hmm. I I really think he's kind of the one to beat out at this point. Interesting. All right, let's talk about two-way forwards. You mentioned them before, Zach Benson, a bit of a smaller guy, but number one when it comes to the two-way players. Yeah, because man, it's it's part of that compete. Like he's got a lot of got a lot of skill, but he works his bag off. He is a centerman, and I think he can play center in the NHL despite that size. And when you do that, it means you just got to be smart all around. And he's a really well-positioned player. Um, he, he, I, I just, I, I love his game, man. I really do. He's someone that I think literally every line you could play him on, he'd fit in. He could be your number one center. He could be your number four center. And you'd have no issues. Like, he's someone that can be an NHLer as long as he continues to develop. So I, I really respect him being number one. And this whole list, really, like, I, I love this list. Delbor Forsky at number two is you know what? Like I, we're gonna mention my draft darlings here a little bit at the end of the show. Um, and a spoiler: I didn't put Dvorsky on this because I knew we were gonna be talking about him a bit more in this. Um, but he is one of the guys that would be in my list, and I, I've been big on him the last couple of years. And it's exciting to finally kind of see him make that jump to the NHL because in a year or two he's just gonna be a really steady pro. But my, behind him, Brian Yeager, Nate Danielson, Charlie Strommel, Oliver Moore, just four incredibly smart players. Oliver Moore is. Another US NTDP guy who's got, got a really strong two-way game. Uh, I've talked about him and, and his two-way game for really all, all season long, kind of, kind of how much I've liked it. And then um, Charlie Strommel had a bit underwhelming of a season compared to expectations, but still found his way um, into this first-round conversation, and it's going to be a first-round pick. Uh, he's got the size with that two-way ability. So it's it's a really strong list. All these guys, I think, are, are locked and loaded in NHL. There's, like, no concerns at all. All right, last two categories here. Um, it is... One of those categories that I think a lot of people look at when it comes to actual scouts in the draft room, when it comes to, uh, you know, analysts that are actually covering the draft, it's always looking at who's got high floors, who has high ceilings. Let's take a look at the floors first. Yeah, so obviously you're going to see Connor Bernard number one. And this is a bit more of like a, a draft ranking thing, honestly. Like all, all these guys in the top twelve are, are going to be decent draft picks, especially the top ten. Um, I'm just going to kind of write them off: Bedard, Fantilli, David Reinbacher, uh, Matthew Mishkov, Leo Carlson, Deborah Dvorsky, Ryan Letter, Will Smith, Tom Willander, Nate Danielson, and then two names we have not mentioned yet: uh, Samuel Hosnek and then Dmitry Sinishev. 
are all, all guys that are like they're going to be NHLers, like safe, locked and loaded, ready to go. Uh, we're going to talk about Ryan Vacher more here in a, in a few, so I'm going to save him. But Bedard's obviously going to be an elite number one center. Fantilli, same thing. Mishkov, an elite number one winger. Leo Carlson, an elite number one center. Dale Wardivorski, a locked and loaded top six center. And just going down the list, all those guys are just in, in that same kind of boat. It's it it is a draft class that has a lot of talent. Um, it was looked at at first as having a steep drop off, and I still think it has you know a heavier drop off than normal. But I don't think it's as steep as people originally thought it was going to be. Yeah, and Reinbacher, one of those names not familiar with. Uh, when I'm looking at the actual elite prospect scouting, looks like he's come up quite a bit in the actual draft process. So excited to hear what your thoughts are on him, whether it's highest ceiling or if he's in your my guys. I'm looking forward to that. But let's talk about highest ceiling right now. No shock, Connor Bedard's number one, but I feel like number two could rival him for that spot. In terms of pure offensive production, I think number two might be above him in Matthew Mishkov. I, I think Matthew Mishkov has the potential to be a year-on-year better scorer than Connor Bedard, but that's going to come at a sacrifice of his defensive play because Bedard's a little more reliable there, and Matthew Mishkov, like, just right now, he just isn't. So Bedard and Mishkov are very, 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 very clearly the top two in this one. You know, 100-point talents every single year. Guys that have 150, 175-point upsides in their career, I legitimately think that is the case. It, it, it's just them above everybody else. But behind that, Will Smith, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, Gabe Perot, Zach Benson, David Reinbacher, Dalbor Dvorsky, Matthew Wood, uh, Edward Shala, and Brady Nadeau, or Bradley Nadeau, excuse me. It, it's got another you know list of a lot of talent. I think um, you know Nadeau is probably the biggest question mark on this one, but he's still got a lot of talent. Someone that I could see being a very good NHLer. Uh, the rest of this list, there's a lot more. Um, it's a lot more recognizable names, especially when you're talking about the top ones. But Edward Shala has probably um, got one of the most underrated set of hands in, in the draft class. Um, you know, he wasn't really mentioned as high on this list and best hands I thought he was going to be, but. Definitely underrated. Um, someone that's can put up some really good numbers. Then Matthew Wood. Um, I'm I'm gonna save him for um, here in a minute as well because as he is gonna be in my draft darlings list. So a little bit of spoiler, but it's got a lot of talent. Man, all these guys can be like their number one players on, on each of their NHL teams, like wholeheartedly. I believe that. And this show has kind of been known to be big Mishkov supporters over here. And when you look at the floor, Mishkov sitting at four and sitting second for highest ceiling. When you look at Adam Fantilli, he's second for highest floor and four for highest ceiling. Two and four for both of them. Obviously, different categories here. If Mishkov is available right away, are we still having the conversation on who goes to? Is it Mishkov? Is it Fantilli? Whereas, obviously, Mishkov right now, we know he's not coming over likely for a couple of years, so a lot of people are thinking Fantilli the easy slam dunk there at number two. If that's not the case, if Mishkov were in a alternate universe coming over year one, is there a conversation or is Mishkov a runaway? No, there's absolutely a conversation uh, for me. I, there'd be less of a conversation. Like it's Matthew Mishkov for me, locked and loaded, but the one that, you know, the conversation absolutely exists because Fantilli, he is a center. He's a number one center. He's got great size. he, has all the abilities like he skates like he he has a great shot he, he can pass the puck he can stick handle he can play defense like he, he can do everything but at the end of the day you don't win hockey games if you don't score goals and Matthew Mishkov is probably going to be the leading goal scorer out of this draft class a little bit is because he plays like selfishly a little bit not for not like selfishly but like so offensively focused and I think Connor Bedard is going to be you know a guy that can score 50 goals every single year but in terms of like just the pure offensive upside and the way they play and his accuracy, I mean, Mishkov has got a real potential to go on and score 50 plus goals every single season in his career, not even just here and there. So he, he would be my number two. It wouldn't be much of a question. Like it, it's Bedard and Mishkov are, are kind of the guys that are a step above the rest for me, but I still understand the argument. All right, Chase, I don't mean to put you on a time limit here or, or rush you, but we're sitting on an hour for the show. The battery is at 10%. Let's talk about some of your my guys, or at least your draft darlings for this year. And if you can't hit them all, that's fine. We got a lot of content coming when it comes to the offseason. We still have one more show. And 
hell, we can make it more if we need to before the NHL draft, where I'm sure you're going to be talking, you know, your whole draft rankings, how excited you are for certain prospects. But let's at least hit a couple of your draft darlings here. Yeah, for sure. I, I got three, and, and they were going to be pretty, you know, pretty quick rattle off. So it works out anyway. Um, number one, I'm going to go with uh, one of the names I mentioned here. Matthew Wood, I've been a big supporter of his. I think he's someone that has should have been a locked and loaded top 10 pick all year long for me. Um, some people have him ranked lower than that. Some people had him in the 20s, even 30s at some point. But to me, it was just, it was no question. Like, top 10 player, someone that, you know, I, I would, I, I might take him in the top five, depending on how the board falls. Like, legitimately, he's got that kind of talent, dude. Like, he's, he's just good. He's got some size. He, he's got some physicality to him. He can kind of do it all in the ice. He can rip the puck. He can pass. Like he does such a great job. So he's my first one. Um, I hope a team spends a lot of capital on him. Number two, David Reinbacher. We kind of talked about him a little bit, a demon that I've been really high on all year. He's been my number one demon for quite some time. Finished with 22 points through 46 games in the top Swiss league. Played, played incredibly well while still, you know, having some size of six, two being a right shot D man, which is very coveted. I think he should be the number one D-man off the board. Someone that I would easily spend a top eight pick on in this draft. He just got so much talent. As I said, you know, he, he's a low floor player, was top, you know, or a high floor player, excuse me, a um, top three player in the draft class based on Scott Withers' rankings. And I 100% agree there. And then the last one, Aiden Fink. It's a name that you're not going to know, really. Um, a name that a lot of people are not going to know because he's someone that's looked at more as that third, fourth, fifth round type guy. But Aiden Fink, um, you know, it's part of my job. I watch a lot of, you know, Canadian junior A hockey, and he played in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, where he had 97 points through 54 games this year as, you know, a an 18-year-old. Put up great numbers, wore, wore an A on his jersey. He's got so much talent. He's going to Penn State next year. I just, I really love his game. You know, he is a bit smaller, 5'9", but he's got such high oct- octane offense. He's got so much skill. He's been a pretty proficient scorer throughout his whole like youth career. And if he played and, you know, if he w- went and played major junior, um, I-, I think he would have had a lot of success, but since he played in the AJ, people knew he wanted to play college. Um, he's going a little bit overlooked. So if he's available for some reason, like the sixth, seventh round that, that Tampa needs to take him. Yeah. And make sure if you're looking up Aiden Fink, specify hockey, because apparently there's an actor out there with the same name. Hmm. Yeah. A little fun fact for you there. That's uh, very fun. All right. Let's get to hockey name of the day now and make sure to stay tuned to the old bolts broadcast. We've got a lot of draft coverage still coming to you. A nice long episode. It feels like it's been quite a while before we've been able to get one of these kind of mega episodes out. We've usually stuck to our half hour shows, but it's nice to get the, get the groove flowing and get a nice episode out there for you. But hockey name of the day, we got Felix Unger Sorum. Felix Unger Serum. It's more of like a like a Sir Serum. Um, but yeah, Fe- Felix Unger Serum or Felix would technically be his Scandinavian pronunciation. Um, Felix, he's a draft eligible prospect. Since we were kind of on that topic, he is. I think he's the youngest eligible in this draft class. Actually, if not, he's he's one of the youngest. The cutoff September fifteenth. He's got a September fourteenth birthday. Um, but he played this last season over in Sweden. Um, he was born in Norway, but he represents Sweden as he kind of grew up there. Uh, he played in the in the top Swedish league this game uh, or this season, excuse me, seven games. Played in the top U twenty league, had forty six points for forty two games. Going to be playing U twenty league again next year. Going to get some pro games. Did really well at the World Eighteens, ten points for seven games. Um, look, you know, he's he's got some talent. He's got some offensive upside. Someone that'll be, you know, probably a third round pick somewhere in that range. May, maybe go a little bit higher if a team really likes him. Not too shabby. Uh, really hoping yeah. that we can see Soren back there because he's got the, uh, is that an umlau? That's an umlau, baby. Umlau over the O, which makes it look like he's shocked, which I love. Yeah, it, it is great. That was my face when you were like, eh, kind of. I was like, oh, what? But <laughs> anyways, that's going to do it for the show. I want to thank you so much for coming out and giving it a listen. Chase, if you could, hit him with an outro. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Bolts Broadcast. It's at Bolts Broadcast. You can follow the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. It's at HockeyPodNet. Follow right at WMP on Twitter at WMP Sports Pod. WMP Sports Pod. 
Make sure the hockey podcast network.com. You can find all the pods in the network right there. Boom, click the logo. That's an easy peasy lemon squeezy. Wherever this thing raise five stars, send us questions, comments, concerns, we'd appreciate it. We do for not forget to use go to each pin. We sign for DraftKings. Thanks so much for stopping by. We'll talk to you next time. 